All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go back to the book of Jonah. All right, Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 this morning as we've been in the study on Sunday mornings at least in the book of Jonah. But as you find your place there, I want to remind us once again that when it comes to the book of Jonah, uh, most people are familiar with Jonah and, and the whale. But understand this little book of the Bible is, uh, has much more to do than just that one event, than just the story of a man and a whale. As exciting and true that story is. There's much more to learn from the book of Jonah. Much more to learn from this little book of the Bible. Yes, there's much to learn about Jonah himself. As a rebel prophet, a prodigal prophet, we know that. There's a lot to learn about Nineveh as a wicked of people, violent as they are and were. A lot to learn about these things. But the greatest thing we can learn from the little book of, this little book of the Bible is about our great God, about his forgiveness, about his compassion, about his care, about his kindness, about his wisdom, about his foresight, about his great second chances that he gives, the grace he offers to all mankind, no matter how wicked they are, God still offers his mercy and grace. Listen, there's so much to learn from this book of the Bible, but the greatest thing we learn from this book of the Bible is about our great God, all right? So keep that in mind, that this book of the Bible is not just about Jonah and Noel, it's more it's more about Jehovah and his ways, all right? Let the church say amen right there. We're learning about God. So never forget it. When you come to any book of the Bible, the, the main, main character of all scripture is the Lord himself, all right? But so far as we've di- dove into Jonah, uh, we have seen that Jonah was given a command from the Lord, and that was to go. That was to go. That was to go to Nineveh and to preach this message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He was to preach the coming judgment of God upon this wicked nation and wicked people. He was to preach to them. But for one reason or another, we know that Jonah disobeyed God's clear command and he rebelled against God's will for his life and he rebelled against the clear word of God. He rebelled. But in the midst of his rebellion, the Lord began to deal with him. In many different ways. Sent a strong storm to get his attention. He sent him a whale to get his attention. But each time, each time we see God dealing with him, he had to do so, do so more, a more fuller way. And, but he did this, remember, he chastised him for, for this reason. Because God had a purpose for him. God had a purpose for the life of Jonah. And he chastised him in love for that very purpose. But through, through the chastisement, it took some doing. But he finally, we saw last time, he finally turned to the Lord. We, we see that Jonah finally cried unto the Lord. He began to finally pray. And in that time, in chapter number two, we saw that Jonah finally got right with God. That Jonah finally repented. He finally got right with the Lord. And so as we come to chapter number three, we know that the Lord had uh, spoken, to, spoken to the fish and it vomited out Jonah on dry land. We know that. So as you come to chapter three, just picture in your mind that Jonah is on the beach there at Nineveh and uh, he is about to enter the city and begin to preach, to preach to it. But as I come to chapter three, I can't help but think 
that some time has passed, all right? <clears throat> I can't help but think that there's passed, some time has passed between chapter 1 and chapter 3. We know at least three days and three nights have passed. Why do we know that? Because he was in the belly of the fish, belly of the whale for three days and three nights. That's right. Good job, class. We know that. At least three days and three nights have passed. But I tend to think it's been a, li- a little bit more than just that. The overall journey has been a little bit longer than, than that. Uh, from when he first fled from the presence of God, went down into the boat to flee unto Tarshish, right? There's been a little, little time has passed since chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 3 and verse number 1. Some time has passed. And when time passes, things change, do they not? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Over time, things change. Absolutely, absolutely. Our minds can change about certain subjects. Again, my mind changed about a dozen times this morning to have church or not to have church. I didn't know, all right? But let's just have church anyway. Our minds change from time to time. Relationships change over time. Uh, 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 friendships, fellowships change over time. Over time, our body, our physical health changes. I'm creeping up on 40, and I know, look, I know that is very, very, very young. Yes, teenagers, that is young. I used to think it was old too, but that's very young, all right? But I'm creeping up on 40, and I was playing some basketball with Neil the other day, and the next morning I woke up so sore and hurting in places that I hadn't really hurt before in a long time. I'm like, what in the world's going on with me? But we know over time, our body, our physical health, it changes. Things change over time. Things change. But I'm glad to tell you there are certain things that don't change either. I'm glad that we serve a God who changes not. Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord, I change not. God is always constant and consistent. The Bible says in Hebrews 13 and verse number 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, our God does not change. And though maybe some things change between chapter 1 and chapter 3, I want to point out some things that did not change from chapter 1 to chapter number 3. Look at it with me. Jonah chapter 3 and verse number 1. We'll read, we'll read down through verse number, uh, verse number 4, all right? The Bible says this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose, went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Our fathers read, Study the Word of God, read the Word of God, teach and preach the Word of God this morning. I pray to arrest our attention, grab our hearts, help us to focus in and to see what you have for us this morning and to see things that truly never change. Our world around us is always changing constantly, but God is not. The Word of God is not. The message is not. And we are thankful that we can rest in an unchanging God. We love you. Help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, the first thing we see this morning that does not change is this. Number one, God's mind concerning Nineveh did not change, all right? It didn't change. Listen, God knew these people, Nineveh, was still wicked people. He knew their sin was great. He knew they were still a violent and sinful, evil People, his mind on that fact 
had not changed. Uh, They were just as wicked in chapter 3 as they were in chapter number 1 when we first met up with Jonah and the city of Nineveh. Do you remember what God told Jonah to do as he was thinking about Nineveh? In Jonah 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. He knew how wicked they were. He knew how evil they were. His mind on that matter had not changed. He knew who they were and what they have done, and his mind didn't change. Understand God knows who we are. God knows the world in which we live. He knows this world is still wicked. He knows, he knows, 2 Timothy 3.13, that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Sometimes we wonder, does God see what's going on down here? Does he know how bad these people, some people are? Does he know how bad the world is? It don't take long. Watch the news. You'll find out just how bad people are. Or watch the Grammys. Actually, don't do that. Don't do that. All right? Don't watch the Grammys. That's terrible. But uh, just watch the world for a second. You'll see just how bad and how evil, how evil it can be. And sometimes we wonder, does he know? I want to tell you, he does. He still knows how bad, how evil people are. Yes, he knows how the world tries to change things, tries to change definitions, tries to change. We're coming up on Valentine's Day, tries to change the definition of marriage. Listen, we know the world tries to change that, but God, his mind is still clear, and the word is still clear on that, still between one man and one woman. But the world tries to change that. The world tries to change uh, the genders, right? We know that. Good night. There's only two, by the way, in case you didn't know, not 27. Amen. But the world tries to change things because they're just so wicked and evil. But God knows this. He is fully aware. And his mind on the subject of how sinful man is has not changed one bit. He is not surprised by how evil people are. He is not surprised how wicked Nineveh was. And by the way, we shouldn't be surprised how wicked people can be either. We shouldn't be surprised when a lost world who doesn't know the Lord and is not governed by his word acts as if they do not know the Lord nor his word. We shouldn't be surprised by that because God is not surprised by it at all. He knows who we are. The Bible says in Psalm 104 verse 14, for he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. He knows. He knows. So God's mind has not changed on who Nineveh was, okay? His mind has not changed on how he knew how sinful they were. He knows. His mind has not changed. What else has not changed as we think of this this chapter here, all right? God's mind on Nineveh didn't change, nor this. This is amazing to me. God's mercy for Nineveh didn't change either. God knows who they were. God knows what they have done. Nineveh being a wicked place, evil people, whose, whose people whose hands were full of violence, even as the king himself said in Jonah 3 and verse number 8, he said, look, my people, I know there's violence in their hands. I know how bad they are. And God knew it too. <coughs> Excuse me. So even though they were evil people and they deserved the judgment that was hovering over their heads, guess what? God's mercy for them never changed. He still wanted them. He wanted them. His mercy for him never changed. I'm thankful today that God's mercy for us does not change. Mercy is just part of who God is. 
Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 through 23, I'm going to read it to you. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. In Psalm 86, verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good, ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 7, some fantastic verses. But God, who is rich, meaning overabundant, more than you could ever imagine, rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he had loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved hath raised us up together and made us to sit in, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Understand something, because of how wicked Nineveh was, and mercy was the only thing that they had to cling to. They knew how bad they were, right? They knew it. They knew that they deserved the coming judgment, as even as John would preach to them that they'll be overthrown in 40 days. They knew they deserved it. But the only thing, the only thing they had to cast themselves upon, the only thing they had to trust in, to cling to, was this. Listen, it was the mercy of God. That was the only thing. They couldn't trust in their goodness. Why? They didn't have any. That's why. They didn't have any goodness. They couldn't trust in their false idols. Why? They were false. They were dead. Not true. Not living. They couldn't trust in any of that. The only person they had to trust in was the Lord, and they were trusting in His mercy. And God had plenty of it for them. And that never changed for these people. Even how wicked they were. The same goes for us. God's mercy does not change. We can't trust in our own goodness. Why? We ain't got none. That's terrible English, but you get the point. We don't have any. The Bible says in Romans 3.12, they're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So since you and I are not good, you and I are sinful, what do we have to cling to? What, can, what do we have to trust in? The only thing we trust in is not ourselves, not what we could do, but in God's mercy. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 7, which again, some more uh, fantastic verses of Scripture. It says this. <coughs> but after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Listen, that's where our mercy is found. He shed mercy. Where is it found? It's in Christ Jesus, our Savior. So those that forsake Jesus, you know what they're forsaking? Mercy. Remember what Jonah said? In Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, look at it with me. He said this, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Those that forsake Jesus, forsaken their own mercy that is shed abroad to all men. But if they don't want them, listen, they're forsaken the mercy of God. Then it says this, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Listen, God is merciful. God has mercy for all mankind, and that never changed. Some time had passed between chapter 1 and chapter 3, but His mercy never changed during that time for these People. There was enough mercy found in God to forgive the entire wicked nation of Nineveh. There's enough, enough mercy found in God to forgive this prodigal prophet as well. All I'm trying to say this morning is please listen that God's mercy is abundant and it does not change for you or for me or 
the wicked world in which we live, when people do some God-awful things, and we look at them and shake our head, like, what in the world are you thinking? There's enough mercy to save that person. Enough mercy. God has abundant mercy, and it never changes. It did not change for these people. It didn't change. What else did not change? Was well, mind for Nineveh didn't change. His mercy that he had for them did not change. And thirdly, his method. His method for reaching Nineveh did not change. Now, the method that the Lord had already chosen to reach Nineveh was, was what? Starts with a P, ends with a reaching. Preaching, that's right, good job. It's preaching, that was his method. We see that in Jonah chapter 1. Verse 1 through 2, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry. That means to utter loudly, proclaim, cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. And then again we see in chapter 3, which we are, John chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I Bid thee to proclaim, to sound loudly, preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So the method that God has chosen to reach the entire country of Nineveh, even in their wickedness, was what? Was preaching. Now the word preach or preaching is found 77 times in our Bible. And this word just simply means to herald forth, to proclaim openly, to publish something that's already been done, to preach, to preach. And as you read your Bible, you will find the method of preaching God has chosen throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. You will find the prophets in the Old Testament preaching to the people, preaching to the nations. You'll find Jeremiah doing that, Isaiah doing that, Ezekiel doing that, Amos, Obadiah, the rest of them doing all of that. They are preaching to the people, preaching. When you go to the New Testament, you'll find John the Baptist preaching. You'll find Jesus as he went from city to city preaching. You will find the disciples, the apostles preaching as they went to different nations, different cities, different people groups preaching the gospel. You will find the church, the rest of the church in the New Testament preaching. Preaching is God's method. Proclaiming what God has already said is God's method. Here's what Paul said about preaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 through 25, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He did not say foolish preaching. I've heard some of that too. But he said the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks a foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Then as Paul was writing to his preacher boy, his son in the faith, Timothy, 
Here's what Paul told him in some very pointed, strong, and stern wording. He said this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. He said, I charge thee before, before God and Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they shall not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And as I read this verse and reread this verse this week, I had to say, goodness, that, is, that, that depicts and describes the day in which we are living people who do not want the truth. And by the way, in case you don't know what the truth is, the truth is the Word of God. Jesus made that very plain when he prayed in the garden. In John chapter 17, 17, he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. What is that, Jesus? Thy word is truth. That's what truth is. But they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the word. Why? Because when you hear the truth, then guess what? You're accountable to the truth. You're responsible to respond to the truth. And people do not want to be responsible and accountable to the truth they do not want to be responsible for their own actions or lack thereof of said truth. They don't want that anymore. They don't want it. So in order to combat their convicted conscience when they hear the truth, here's what people try to do. They heap to themselves, meaning pile up or accumulate in large numbers, teachers having itching ears. They heap themselves teachers having itching, itching ears, meaning it'd be those teachers, those preachers who will come along, those people, and say, tell me what you want to hear, and I will teach that. Tell me what you want to hear, and I will preach that. Uh, those type of teachers, listen, by the way, are not new. Yes, we are surrounded by them today in the 21st century. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of them have great followings in large churches. Surrounded by, but it's not new. All this was going on even in Jeremiah's day. The prophets and the priests of Jeremiah's day took reproach with the word of God, Jeremiah 6.10, and did this. In Jeremiah 6.14, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now, that's what the prophets and priests did. They told the folks of the day, no, it's okay, everything's good, peace, peace, when there wasn't they told him what the people wanted, wanted to hear. And for someone to not preach the truth, to not preach the whole truth, nothing but the truth, for someone not to do that is very dangerous. Not to do that is very deceptive. And it, listen, it is very devilish. Because who's the one that will not preach the truth? the father of lies himself, the devil. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden with the first man and first woman. Listen, he still does it. He still does it today. And so his little minions and his little false teachers will do the same. They will not preach the truth. Now I got on a little bit of a tangent there, but, but just know that the method of true preaching still remains. God still wants us to preach the whole truth. And it's not just for the pastor. For all of us to proclaim the truth. Remember, that's what preaching is. Proclaiming what's already been said. Proclaim what's already been done. That's what we're to do. To proclaim what God 
has said. Thus saith the Lord. That's what we are to preach, the whole counsel of God, the whole truth. This method of preaching, by the way, be reminded, this method of preaching is God's method. It wasn't something that mankind made up. It wasn't something that the Baptists came up with, okay? No, no. This is God's idea. It's God's method. There's this method then in the Old Testament, and guess what? It's still this method today as well. And that is why as we carve out time to spend together, as we assemble together as a body of believers at Boiling Springs Baptist Church, we carve out this time to meet together. That's why a lot of the majority of the time we meet is given to preaching. Not because of me. <laughs> Not because I'm some eloquent speaker. No, are you kidding me? It's terrible. My English is horrible. All right. It has nothing to do with me. Nothing. But it's everything to do with the pattern and method that God has set up and the emphasis that He has placed upon preaching. Listen, I promise I'm nothing but a speck of dust on the page of history, a little peon. But it's God. It's God's method. It's His structure. Now, I'm not discrediting or downplaying other methods that people use to try to reach folks with with the gospel. I'm always searching, always asking, how can we as a church be more effective in getting the gospel out? But listen, there's no greater method. No greater method than you and I having a conversation with someone and then that conversation turning to spiritual matters and you and I begin to proclaim, preach the gospel. It's God's method to tell someone. Tell someone of the Lord. Because be reminded, it's not in our delivery or lack thereof that the power of God lies. But it's in the message itself. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. The Jew first and also to the Greek. So what was the method that God gave Jonah to reach the people? I'm talking about a wicked nation. Preaching. Go preach the preaching that I bid thee. Preaching is the method. And lastly, what was something else that did not change? Well, his mind on Nineveh didn't change. His mercy for him didn't change. The method to reach them didn't change. Lastly, the message did not change either. The message that Jonah was to preach did not change. Change After Jonah was vomited out on the beach that day and God spoke to him and said, Arise, go to Nineveh the second time. The same message was the same message he gave him in chapter number 1. Because in chapter 1 he said, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh and cry against it. And this message, as we come to chapter 3, didn't change. It was still Jonah, go to Nineveh. So number 1. In this message we see, the message didn't change for Jonah. Didn't change for Jonah. Jonah was still to do what? He was still to go. Still to go. And I'm reminding once again, this message for us as believers to go has not changed. It's still we need to go. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. In Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, Go ye in all the world 
and preach the gospel to every creature. Listen, I know you know these verses. I know many of you can probably quote these verses, but listen, how many of us have obeyed these verses this week to go and tell them the message? Because listen, this message given to us as believers nearly 2,000 years ago has not changed. We're to still go. Go ye therefore. Go. Go. Then the message to the Ninevites did not change either. It did not change either. Listen, though these were some of the, uh, some, some time had passed from chapter 1 to chapter, chapter 3, the message that God gave to Jonah to preach to the Ninevites did not change. Again, I want to remind you what that was. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Then look at our text in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He knew what, what God wanted him to say. He knew the message he was supposed to preach. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, verse number three, a uh, three days journey, verse four. And Jonah began to cry, I'm sorry, and Jonah began to enter into the, in the city of day's journey and cried and said, Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. This was the message. That God gave him, no doubt, in chapter 1, the same message. He knew what he's supposed to say. And his message did not change. The message of salvation in the Lord has not changed. Even Jonah said it in chapter number 2 when he said salvation is of the Lord. In verse number 9, that message has not changed. That is where salvation still is today. I know we talked about that a little bit. I just want to reemphasize it again, that this message has not changed. It's not changed. The message of the gospel was the same in the first century as it is today. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the salvation of all mankind is still the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4 says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel message. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ has not changed. It's not changed in 2,000 years. And it's not going to change. It's still the same. So never forget, never forget that salvation is God's free gift to us. It's given by grace, accepted by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message. It doesn't change. So I understand there's things that change from time to time. I get it. The world in which we're living changes. I was talking with a friend just recently and uh, things that his teenager is seeing in high school, we never knew about in high school. Didn't know it existed. But they're seeing it in high school and even earlier. Things have changed over the years. But I'm thankful for some things that have not changed. We can see that as well. And come to chapter 3. God's mind didn't change concerning the people of Nineveh. He knew who they were. 
God's mercy didn't change either. Knowing who they were, he still loved them and wanted them. God's method of reaching this country didn't change. It's still the same for us, by the way. Go and preach. Go proclaim the truth. The message didn't change either. The message didn't change. And it's not going to change for us either. So go tell someone about Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for them. Proclaim it.